0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Great. Let's pray. Come on, lift your hands with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word to your people, and they are your people. They're redeemed by your precious blood. That means you shed your blood for them. You saw value in us, Lord, while we were still your enemies. You shed your blood, you proved your love for us by dying for us on that cross, and we are your people tonight called by your name, and God, I just pray that you would use me to give your word, deliver your word to your people one more time tonight, God. Use me in my humanity, my frailness, Lord, my my inadequacies, Uh, cover them with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would touch this time in your word, and I pray that people would be blessed. In the name of Jesus, encourage your people, God. In Jesus' name, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Do you know, I was just waiting outside um, as uh, Pastor Stephen was transitioning out of service, and as he was praying, I got encouraged. I felt like the Lord was confirming some things tonight, so I'm happy um, with that. Uh, The title of the message is El Roy. It's a name of God, and it means the God who sees me. Hallelujah. Elroy, the God who sees me. And um, because my titles are way too long, uh, it uh, (laughs) might continue as a two-part title. Elroy, the God who sees me. It's time to stop running. Amen. It's time to stop running. Uh, This coming from an expert runner. uh, But let's go. Let's do it. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 16. It's a very well-known passage um, all about Hagar and uh, uh, Sarah uh, Sarai, I think Sarai, uh, and Abraham and that very pendulous, difficult situation that was going on there. So as you read, uh, as you turn to Genesis 16, I'm going to give you some very, very brief context. God had appeared to Abraham uh, as Abraham being an old man, and he'd said that, uh, he promised that his wife Sarai at the time would give birth uh, to a son, and that son would uh, be uh, Uh, a son of promise, and from him would come a great nation. Uh, This was amazing because they were old, very, very old. Uh, Yet God came and he promised by this time next year, it's going to happen. And uh, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 16, we read that Hagar got impatient. She got impatient. Have you ever been there? God promises something to you and you get impatient waiting for it. And so instead of trusting the Lord to deliver on his promises, to deliver on his word, you just go out and try and get it yourself. Well, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Sarai told Abraham, literally her words at at the beginning of the chapter are, God has prevented me from having children. What, what an interesting turn of phrase. God had promised that he would give her a child, and now uh, because she's frustrated, her view of God has changed, and now God has prevented her from having children. And she tells Abraham, or, Abra- or yeah, Abraham at the time, to go in and to um, know biblically her, handmaid, his, her handmaiden Hagar and to get her pregnant. And that's what happens. Uh, messy, folks. Just in case uh, you're wondering, God is still a God of grace. Uh, Very messy. But anyway, uh, I'm going to start from verse 7. Are you ready? Let's do it. Verse 7. Or verse 6. Or verse 5. Let's go verse 5. And Sarai said to Abraham, Abraham, excuse me at the time, uh, may the wrong done to me be on you. So um, uh, Hagar had become arrogant because she was pregnant. She'd become proud. And so Sarai is very upset with her husband, even though she sent her husband in. She put him up to it. She says, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to uh, your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing, or El Roy, the God who sees me. For she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar born Abraham a son, and Abraham called uh, his son, whom Hagar bore, uh, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Folks, what a story! What a story! And I want to really hone in from verses seven. And I want to look through to about verse 13. The Bible says that Hagar became arrogant when she became pregnant. She became proud. She started lording it over her mistress. She forgot her place. And the Bible says that uh, Sarai began to mistreat her. She began to uh, bully her, if you like. And uh, Hagar ran away. She fled from the situation. It became too much for her to bear. Yes, she may have started it, but she certainly couldn't finish it. She fled from the conflict. She fled from what was difficult, what was harsh, what was uh, beyond her ability to bear anymore. She must have felt so alone. It's such an amazing story. She must have felt so alone. Although she started it, She must have felt so isolated. She was an Egyptian. She was a slave. She had absolutely no rights. I'm sure at some stage she must have asked, does anybody see what I'm going through? Does anybody? Some of you are about to run from situations you can no longer endure. I want to encourage you tonight that he's the God who sees. I wanna encourage you. And so let me just get into the text with you. First thing I wanna say is that we all have felt the desire to run away from difficult situations, particularly when they're interpersonal. It got the, ten- I want you to imagine it. The tension was real and she ran away, the scriptures say, from mistreatment. She ran from conflict. She got proud and she forgot her place and she drew something on herself Uh, The Bible says that Sarai mistreated her. It means to deal harshly with her. It means to make her her occupation. So in other words, uh, Sarai made Hagar her her sort of job. I'm going to make this girl's life as hard as possible. And uh, so Hagar is literally at a point where she's made her situation unbearable and now she can't stay and Abraham doesn't want me and I'm at the mercy of Sarai and I brought it on myself. That's where she found herself, folks. That was the situation she found herself in. And you know, we all have our limits, don't we? We all have our limits. There's only so much conflict you and I can actually bear up under. That's the true, particularly interpersonal conflict. The emotional stress can be enough to want us to, to, to send us packing. So the Bible says that Hagar ran away. The scriptures say that she fled from Sarai's face. That's what the language, the root words, really mean. So she couldn't go another day in the situation she was in. She couldn't face another day of injustice, pain hurts. She couldn't face another argument. She couldn't face another battle. She'd started something she couldn't finish. And rather than deal with the consequences, she fled, she ran away. Have we all heard about the uh, flight or fight response? Yeah. We heard about that, Yes. So the flight or fight response is a physiological reaction that occurs in response to a perceived harmful event or attack or a threat to survival. It's interesting. How do you respond to stress? How do you respond to conflict? Do you retreat from? Do you run from conflicts? Are you there tonight? overwhelmed, out of steam? Is it a job that has you on the run? Is it a marriage that has you in retreat? It is, a, it is, it, is it a position that has you running away? Are you ready to run or already running or withdrawing? Do you feel like the Psalmist in Psalm 55 verse six, who said, oh, that I had wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Or are you, with the prophet, are you like the prophet Lenny Kravitz who said, I want to fly away, I just want to fly away. Yeah, 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 I want to get away, I want to fly away. Do you, have you ever felt that way? So under the cosh, so feeling like you can't last another day in an untenable situation. The Bible says that Hagar fled for her survival. You know, in 1 Samuel 27, 1, David had been running from Saul for a long time. David had been dealing with Saul for a long time. And he said this here in Samuel 27, 1. David thought to himself, one of these days I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Hagar fled for survival and David ran from Saul because he believed he would ultimately succumb to him. One day he decided it would be Saul, not the promises of God over his life, that would prevail. He got to that point that Saul, not God, would have the last word over his life. And so he ran, and Hagar ran. And we run from what we don't believe will change. That's why we run. We run, we want to run, we want to escape from situations we don't think will change. We run from what we don't believe we can survive. Things will never improve. Have you said that to yourself? Things are never going to change. I can't continue like this forever. When we believe that our Sarai's have the final say, we tend to flee rather than fight. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Running because things have gotten too difficult. Some of us run physically. Some of us want to quit our job. Some of us want to leave our partners. Some of us want to leave situations. And some of us run emotionally. We, with, we stay, but we withdraw. Do you identify with that? Does anyone identify with that? Yes, I'm going to stay, but I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to protect myself. Folks, running away from conflicts or living in, in denial does not heal the problem in the relationship and it does not heal the past. Conscious denial leads to subconscious resentments. Amen. Am I the only runner here? Am I the only one who's like, I just don't want to be here anymore. It's just me. You feel that way. You deal with things. You deal with people. The interpersonal stuff gets too much. And maybe you stay, but you withdraw on your emotions. Or maybe you spend your days plotting your escape. Hagar ran. For whatever reason, she ran. And when we run from what we should confront, we wind up in a desert. We wind up in a dry place. And she found herself in a dry place. Maybe, it was a, maybe it's a spiritually dry place for you tonight. You've withdrawn from something you can't hack. Maybe you've run from something God's called you to, and you're in a dry place. But folks, I want to show you something awesome. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord met her in that place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, the angel of the Lord, I I know, for me, it's a Christophany for sure. Commentators will uh, agree, disagree. Uh, But Jesus then, a pre-incarnate Jesus, found her in that place. She'd made a mess and she couldn't stay and deal with the consequences. She would checked out and she'd run away. And as she was running from Sarai, Jesus was running after her. As she was running after away from a situation she couldn't deal with anymore, into a dry place. Jesus was running after her. Folks, you can't outrun his mercy. You can't outrun his grace. You might be running tonight, but you can't outrun goodness and mercy. They'll follow you all the days of your life. She had no right to have an encounter with Jesus. No rights. She was guilty. She'd been proud. She'd been arrogant. She'd broken through boundaries. She didn't have the strength of character to stay and deal with the consequences. She took off and Jesus took off after her. Psalm 139 says this, verse 7 through 10, where can I go to escape your spirits? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle by the farthest sea, even there your hand will guide me. Hallelujah. Your right hand will hold me fast. And I love the text. It says that she came to a fountain or a spring of water in the desert. Now that road to Shur was actually a road to Egypt. You can read in Exodus about when the Israelites went on that same road. And the scriptures say, I think it's Exodus 15, it says that the road had no water. There was no water. She'd run into a dry place and she would found a fountain in a dry place. Folks, Jesus is the fountain in the dry places we run to in our cowardice, in our fear, in our guilt. Jesus is the water, the living water that flows towards us. Consider John chapter 5, a cripple, 38 years in the pool of Bethesda, there because of his sin. That's what the scriptures say. And he couldn't go down to the healing waters to be healed. So, healing waters made their way to him. Hallelujah. in the chapter previous, that woman at the well, going to the same well to draw water that couldn 't satisfy, couldn 't satisfy, and all that time, living water, satisfying water, healing water, was flowing towards her. Jesus, John four four, had to go through Samaria. This is the God that we serve. God has seen our unloveliness, the deep brokenness and rebellion in our hearts. And instead of withdrawing, he pursues us until the very end. One way love tonight, folks, and every night and tomorrow morning, whatever you face, hallelujah. Great point, Pat, it's true. Pat, that's so true. Hallelujah. Relentless one-way love. I'm, I'm excited. Glad you are as well. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Our God, we serve a pursuing God. Our God chases. Never let anything you endure tell you that you're not worth pursuing. Ever. For our God became a man, died and rose again just to pursue you. You, me, we are worth pursuing pursuing. Hallelujah. Why? Why? Why am I worth pursuing? God, why would you chase after me when I run away from messes I make and situations I find myself in that I just feel overwhelmed in and I can't handle anymore? Why? Because it's bigger than you. You and I, we have value, we have importance, we've got purpose, but there's more in you than you know. Hagar was pregnant Hallelujah, she was carrying something. You are carrying something. There's something inside of you. There's a seed, hallelujah, inside of you. There's a future, there are promises as yet unfulfilled inside of you. There's calling inside of you. There's, there's blessing and multiplicity inside of you. You might be running, but you're carrying a lot more in you than you think. He's put something inside of you and God will fulfill every promise. He will chase you to the ends of the earth to fulfill the things He has is, he is promised He will fulfill in your life. Do you have an unfulfilled promise in your life? Go ahead, run out the door, see if He doesn't chase you. He'll give you a head start. He'll find you because there's a call on your life and on my life. It's not my station in life, slave in Hagar's case, or how I've been treated by people. The deposit on the inside of me is what makes me worthy of pursuit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're overwhelmed tonight, if you're looking to run, God spoke two things to Hagar. And if you're overwhelmed, there are two things that you can receive tonight that I believe will help you on the journey to staying and standing steadfast in the place God has you. Number one is honesty. God, the first thing Jesus asked Hagar is this, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? Where are you running from and where are you running to? Now she could answer the first part of the question, but she couldn't or didn't answer the second part of the question, because there was no answer. She didn't know where she was running to. I'm running from this person, from this situation, and I don't know where I am going. Folks, be honest. You're running, and you don't know where you're running to. Some of us are so desperate to escape a situation that we will run, and we don't care where we end up. It's funny, isn't it? You know, in the years I've been in church, I've met a lot of people who want to say that they're being led. I'm being led out of this church. Well, unless you are, maybe you're just running. it don't want to hear that. Just running. You're not leaving a church because God led you out. You're leaving because you have unresolved issues. And instead of being honest and saying, yeah, that's me, you're running. I'm justifying it. And dressing it up I always feel for those people because how do you row back from that God told me to leave this church I I hope you're right and sometimes he does amen sometimes he does but I want to put that out there no for your no am I being honest about this decision to leave I'm just using the example of a church but am I really truly being honest about my decision? Am I really, really being honest? Admit, there's power in honesty, folks. Admit that you were running away and you don't know where you're going. That's humbling, folks. Admit you're running from something and you don't know where you're going. Admit that you ran away and you're in a wilderness, a nowhere, a spiritually dry place. Admit, it's not easy. It's incredibly humbling. I've got some honest prayers tonight. Lord, I don't have any energy or courage. That's a good prayer. Lord, I don't want to be here anymore. Lord, I just can't face so-and-so. Lord, I feel like no one sees what I'm going through. Lord, I no longer believe you will save me. So I'm saving myself. I'm running and I don't care where I end up. Lord, I'm running from something I have no power to face anymore. And I have no idea where I am running to. And folks, if you can get honest with God, he will meet you on that ground. Isn't that amazing? He'll meet you there. He meets us on the ground of honesty, humility, never on the ground of denial, never on the ground of our justifications or our blame of others. Folks, own your desire to run. Honesty sets the stage for grace. It draws his power to you. Lord, I just want to go. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't have another fight. I can't have another domestic, another dispute. I can't look at my boss's face again. I'm out of here. Isn't it funny how we want to run from the jobs we prayed for? We want to run from the spouse we prayed for. We want to run from the things we asked God to give us. They're in our lives and now we're complaining and we want to run. It's better to just be honest. God, the wife I fasted and prayed for, the wife I lost 20 pounds, went to a gym for, the wife I, I begged you for, now I want to run from her. Lord, the job, I prayed for the job. I put out so many CVs and I danced when I got the job, but I just can't do another day with my manager. So Lord, can you get me a new job? Folks, the other thing tonight is surrender. This is hard. This is hard. This is hard. God said, Jesus said to Hagar, I want you to go back. I want you to return to that place. Folks, that's not easy. And I want to qualify what I'm saying here. Some things you ought to leave When you are at risk, when your children are at risk, when there are legitimate threats, leave. If that's you listening tonight, hit pause and get out of there. Hit pause on this message and get out of there. But for a lot of us, we want to run from something God actually wants us to stay in and he's put us there for a reason. So God says to, Jesus says to Hagar, go back. And submit because if you run now you're going to run forever i've seen it church to church to church to church to church to church to house group relationship to relationship to relationship job to job this situation to that situation I want to tell you tonight, it's not about my situation. It's about my surrender. It's not about your situation. It's about your surrender. The key to my situation is the posture of my heart. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth we don't want to hear, but we know already? The situation doesn't have to change. There's a strange comfort in that. We serve a loving God, a wonderful Father, God is well able to change our situations. He loves us and He doesn't just let His children go anywhere. If Patrick Dobbin doesn't let his children just be in any situation, you can be sure the God of Gods, the loving Father who created the universe and spared no expense in saving you, He will not just leave you anywhere without a reason. Sometimes our situations are made untenable because of the posture of our heart. Yes, the boss. Yes, this and yes, that. But our hearts are the one thing we can affect or change or control. We can choose to have a different attitude. We can choose a different heart posture. Jesus gave Hagar two truths that allowed her or released her to have that sort of heart posture. The first was this. In verse 10, he said, I'm gonna make you fruitful. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna give you, let me read it so I don't paraphrase. He said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. So what does he say? He says, I'm gonna make you fruitful. In other words, he's saying, I control your future, not that situation you're in. Sarai doesn't control your future. I control your future. Sarai doesn't have the final say on your life, your future, the trajectory of your life. I do. I have said you'll be fruitful, and I can do it in it with a sarai in your life. I can make a table in the presence of your enemies. I can provide for you in the presence of your enemies. You don't need to remove yourself from that place. It may be a hostile place, but I can provide for you and make you fruitful there. I am the God of your future. I have authored your life and your destiny. It is my plan. It is my purpose that will prevail, not that person, not that situations. And the next thing he says is this, and this is powerful, and we're getting to the crux of what I want to say tonight. Verse 11, he says, I've listened to your affliction, or I've seen your affliction. He, contro- he, knows, he, he controls my future, and he knows my pain. That's powerful. You can go back, you can submit. Because I control your future. And I know your pain. I know the pain. I know what you've gone through. I know. It's a the scriptures say Literally it says this. He's heard your misery. I've heard your misery. That means that you're not alone. So I don't need to be afraid for my future. And I don't need to feel abandoned. God took, Jesus took both of those things from Sarai by saying that to her. He took them and he would take them from you also. You don't need to fear for your future and you don't need to feel abandoned. Hallelujah. This is where I want to go tonight, and it's good news. She came into a revelation. Sarai came into a revelation. Excuse me. Hagar came into a revelation. Elroy, he's the God who sees me. He sees me, he knows my misery. He's seen my affliction. I'm not abandoned and I was never alone. I have seen, she says, the one who sees me. The one who looks after me. That's what some translations say. Psalm 33 says, verse 18 says this. Surely the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Hallelujah. That's you and me tonight, on those whose hope is in his loving devotion. Hallelujah. We serve one who has seen it all. He's seen every abuse. He's seen every trauma. He's seen every hurt. He's seen every act of mistreatment. He's seen every injustice. He is El Roy, the God who sympathizes who sees and sympathizes. Folks, that is an amazing reality tonight. God sees and has seen. You know, I've got two kids now, which means two baby monitors. Two. I got to carry them around with me all the time. I barely have. I wish I had another arm just so I could carry my phone. You know, so I've got these two baby monitors all the time. And I'm looking at them, my wife, Laura, she's looking into those baby monitors always. A lot of the times, my children are asleep while I'm looking into the baby monitor. Psalm 121 verse 1 says that the one, he who watches over Israel, neither slumbers nor sleeps. And so I sort of identify a little bit with that verse as a father I loved the verse before I was a father. I love it more now that I am a father. My children don't know that I watch them sleeping. It's creepy how much I watch my children sleeping. I watch them. I watch over them. I watch to see the temperature in their room. If it's too cold, I turn on the thermostat. If it's too warm, I make sure that the, the Jackson's door, George's door is open so that there can be a draft. They don't know it, but their father watches them. He looks, he sees so much more than they know wonderful. Psalm 56 says this. I love it. It says, verse 8, you've kept count of my tossings. How many nights have you tossed to and fro in a situation you feel overwhelmed in? How many nights have you tossed from one side to the other? You can't sleep. You can get no peace of mind. You're out of strength. Little did you know your father in heaven was watching on his divine baby monitor, looking at you, seeing, watching. The scriptures say he keeps a count of our tossings. I watch, especially when my children are sick. When my children are sick, I watch them rolling around. I watch Jackson rolling from one side of bed to the other side of bed. Psalm 56 says that he's bottled our tears. Elroy, listen to me. Elroy, he saw. He saw when they mistreated you. He saw all the times you cried. He saw when they judged your heart. He saw when you went to chemo or radiotherapy. He heard the prayers from your knees in the toilet as he puked into a toilet bowl. He saw when they judged you and misjudged your heart. He saw when they plucked your wings and then judged you because you couldn't fly. He saw... The nights where you sat in bed and wondered how you would ever get through it. He saw the space between you and your spouse where there used to be love and every effort you took to try and bridge the gap unsuccessfully. He saw when you lay on a couch for 20 months, waiting for God to bring you back to America, back from America. He saw when you had no job, and you didn't know how you'd pay for your children's school books or uniforms. He saw when your children didn't ring or call, and you stayed up at night wondering where they were. Elroy, he saw it all. God sees me. I am not alone in my suffering. I'm not alone in my situation. I'm not alone I'm not alone. My God sees me. Hallelujah tonight. Hallelujah. Every heartbreak, every tear, everything. Elroy, I saw it all. And I'm watching you because you're the apple of my eye. Psalm 17, 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me. In the shadow of your wings. Hallelujah. You're the apple of his eye tonight. You're his prized possession. Zechariah 2 8 says this, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Wonderful. You're the apple of his eye. And anyone who touches you touches the apple of his eye. The New Living Translation says, Anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. This is God tonight speaking to his people. Hallelujah. This is him. It's called The Eyes on the Sparrow. Me and Laura try and sing it in the car, and I never get the notes right. If she was here, she'd be laughing. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Hallelujah. (laughs) I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness. I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth. But one step I may see. His eyes on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Whenever I'm tempted. Whatever clouds arise. When songs give place to sighing. When hope within me dies. I draw closer to him. For care, he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Elroy, and it was a name that she named God. It came out of experience. It wasn't a name he came to her with. He didn't reveal himself as Elroy. She called him Elroy. It was born out of experience. Isaiah says in Isaiah 50, 45, verse 3, he says, I'll give you the treasures in darkness, the hoards in the secret places. I believe that those treasures in the dark, they're the names that we give God when he shows himself faithful to us. in those dark moments, those hoards in the secret places, they're the things about God that we learn through experience, through pain, through trial. Elroy was a name that Hagar found, discovered in the darkness, in the trial. It's one thing to know that he's a healer. It's another to know he's your healer. Hallelujah. It's one thing to know he's a provider. It's another to know that he's my provider. It's, it's the names that come from experience. The names that come from, from, from walking through dark times and places with him. Elroy. I want to end tonight by, by looking, you know, how, how do I see the God who sees me? I know he sees me, but how do I see the God who sees me? Job had a similar experience. Job 23, it says this, You verse 8, But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. Have you been there? Have you been there? Lord, I'm trying to sense your presence. I feel like my prayers are hitting off the wall. I'm reading the word. I'm getting nothing from it. The situation is bearing down on me, God. Where are you? When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Job is looking any direction he can. To see that God is still in his situation. For look at verse 10. But he knows the way I take. He sees me. I don't see him. But he sees me. Hallelujah. And when he has tested me. I will come forth as gold. How do I see the God who sees me? By faith tonight. Yeah. Beloved. It's by faith Even when I can't see him in my situation, he sees me. You know, you don't have to see when you're seen. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to understand when you know that you're seen by God. We have to trust him in the process. This is a test. It's not abandonment teacher is never more quiet than in a test, but if anyone's ever taken a test, that teacher's walking up and down the aisles, you know, taking from someone who's cheated on his fair share of tests. (laughs) That teacher, if only that teacher had abandoned me. (laughs) It's, It's not abandonment. Might feel that way, but it's not. El Roy, we have to trust him in the outcome. I'll come forth as gold. He is refining me. I will come through this process as gold. Charles Spurgeon said, The refiner is never very far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. Never far. Zechariah, verse 13, last scripture. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is God. That's the gold. That at the end of this, you will have intimacy with the Lord. That God has you here in this place, not because he's abandoned you, but for the sake of intimacy with him. To conclude... If God sees me, I can put up with almost anything. If he sees me, if I know he sees me, he knows my pain and he's in control of my future and I am the apple of his eye, hallelujah. This season or situation that I may be called back to is about my faith. It's about my growing intimacy with the Lord, hallelujah. I wonder, could we pray tonight before I hand it back to Pastor Stephen? Would you stand with me? Would you join me in prayer? Can you see the God who sees you? Can you see the God who's counted your tossings, bottled your tears? The God who's seen everything you have endured, everything you're enduring, everything you're going through. He sees all of it. He sees all of it. You're not abandoned. You're not left alone tonight. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you see me. I thank you, Lord, that although I'm dealing with things that I find overwhelming, you see it and you see me and I am precious and valued in your sight. Thank you, Lord, that I'm carrying something. I'm carrying a seed, a calling, a future, a destiny, Lord. And even when I run or withdraw, you will follow me because you love me, because you won't give up on me, because you will bring about everything you have promised to bring about in my life. Lord Jesus, I know you know my way. I may not be able to see you, but I know that you are not far away from the furnace of my affliction, because you will bring me forth as gold at the right time to the praise of your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm seen. Give give him just that, just for a few seconds. Lord, thank you. I'm seen by you. I'm seen by you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you've put inside me. Thank you, Lord, that you've called me. Thank you, I have a calling on my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will use what I am in to to grow my faith tonight, Lord. And Lord Jesus, if I have to go back, I know, Lord, at the right time, like Hagar, you'll bring me out of that situation once the work is done. Once the work is done. But until then, Lord, I will know that I am seen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, tonight.